Okay, I just want to preface this episode. Um, it's Katie, by the way. I just want to preface this episode with a bit of a heads up. Listen all the way to the end for a, a nice little special surprise. If you like special surprises, who doesn't? Free stuff. <laughs> Tim says free stuff. Free stuff. Listen along. Enjoy the episode. Our philosophy here on Two Teas in a Pod is to use English in its most natural form. Therefore, occasionally a bad word may slip through the net. This episode contains adult language. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Two teas in a pod. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Two teas in a pod. Welcome back to Two Teas in a Pod. Hello, Katie. Hi, How are you? Tim. How are you? Yeah. Good, thanks. On holiday. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting. Easter holidays here in Barcelona. A rainy Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're enjoying ourselves and we've got a great interview for you today. We're here with Jamie Keddy of Lesson Stream and various books. He's an author, he's a teacher trainer, he's a materials developer, he's a general, well, he's a stand-up comedian as well. <laughs> oh, oh, shouldn't have mentioned that. That's all right. No, was that a secret? <laughs> no. <laughs> Hello. How are you today, Jamie? Good, thank you. How are you today? I'm um, pretty good. It's holiday time. Um, and as you said, it's very wet and miserable. But I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does it make you feel at home? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, yes and no. It's strange in Barcelona, living in Barcelona. You know, you complain about the, the cold and they said, pero eres escoces, no? Yeah, yes. they say that to me. I say yes, well. but in the summertime, you all complain about the heat, and you're Catalan and Spanish. What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They're always like, "Oh, I bet you feel right at home." Yeah, it's, it's really <laughs> annoying. It's like, oh, well, no, that's not why I moved to Spain. <laughs> Didn't move to Spain for this weather. Where are you from originally, Jamie? <laughs> um, well, uh, I was born in Birmingham, which is a strange place to have been born if you're from Scotland. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. It confuses a lot of people. Strange yeah. place to be born, a full stop. <laughs> Whoa, okay. Well, if you're from Scotland and people discover you're from Birmingham, they always, want to, they always ask you, why were you born in Birmingham? And it's, I mean, there's no other reason other than that's where my mum was at the time. Yeah. But, <laughs> it just happens to be yeah. where she was. Yeah. But I grew up in East Lothian, in mm-hmm. and around Edinburgh. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. My parents live in Cramond. I think I've told you that. I live, one of the places I live where I said in and around Cramond was one of them. Really? Yeah, Barnton. In Barnton? Yes. Nice. Barnton. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> Why? How old were you? That's where my mum was at the time okay. and my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Just happened to be there. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, I do love it around there. Got very close to the beach. Yes. The beach mm. in Edinburgh. Yeah. Can you imagine? Cold. Cold. Yeah, it's quite yeah. chilly. Nice swim in the North Sea. It's refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, tell us about what you do. Well, I think you already said it, Tim. Um, I am a teacher, teacher trainer, um, a storyteller, and um, I, a writer, I guess. I, I write a, a lot of lesson plans, story-based lesson plans. I try and write one every week. And I've also written three books, two for Oxford University Press and one for my own um, label, Lesson Stream Books, and my interests lie primarily in story and storytelling, but also via visual materials, mm-hmm. image, video, and uh, that kind of thing. Um, and that's probably me. That's all there is I've got mm-hmm. to really, yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> I've used a lot of your materials yeah, before. Too. I've got favourites that I come back to time and time again. There's one in particular about uh, the wrong guy. I've used that yes. one a lot. Guy Goma. Yeah. I've been trying to track him down for quite some time. I won't talk to him. Okay. Could, yeah. Do you want to talk about, as we're yeah, talking yeah. about, do Go you want to tell us about who Guy Goma is and what the situation is? Yeah, well, I mean, in fact, in preparing for this uh, podcast, you did send me through a few questions, and one question was, um, what's a particularly good example of a story for the classroom? Mm-hmm. And... Um, I hadn't really decided which story I was going to mention, but Guy Goma is up there. Mm-hmm. I yeah, mean, we yeah. could talk about it's Guy yeah, now. Or, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, should we just mm-hmm. launch yeah. straight Let's into it? Let's launch into it. it. Yeah. 
Yeah, the story of Mr. Guy Goma, mm-hmm. who's he's a personal hero of mine, and I think he could be also a, a, a hero of any uh, learner of English or any language learner around the world, especially when it's time to um, take part in speaking exams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not sure if you've used this story. Not on the podcast, but I no. have in class many times. So the it's so great. the story of Guy Goma in a in a nutshell is that um, 2000, well, it's, I mean, it's actually quite a complicated story to get into. Mm. Um, she, what, what, do you know, do you remember the, you see, when you, when you go in, when you go into a story, <laughs> I think you've got to, you've got to really be aware of your, your setup. Yeah. Mm. And the story of Guy Goma requires quite a big setup. I guess. You've got to have quite a lot of background. <laughs> The events of the Apple versus Apple, for example. Apple, what do you mean Apple versus Apple? Apple versus Apple. For decades, two companies were at each other's throats. Apple Computers and Apple Apple Records. Records. Mm. Apple Records, of course, being the record label of the Beatles. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a trademark conflict for, well, right back to the 70s. Mm. And, uh, you know, there was different rulings. And the, the deal was that, in fact, there was no conflict of interest, despite having the same name, the same trademark. There mm. was no conflict of interest. One was in music, one was in computers. Simple as that. But then gradually, Apple Apple computers started to move gradually into, into music, as we all know. Mm. And uh, on the 6th of April... Or maybe it was the eighth of April, two thousand and six. <laughs> I think there was a ruling, a very important one, which gave the green light to Apple Computers to go ahead with the iTunes Store, and yeah. And just a few weeks before that, this the hero of our story, whose name is Guy Goma, had arrived in London from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Mm-hmm. And this is the story I want to find out. This is why I want to talk to him. I want to know why. Why did he move from there to London? And I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know he was looking for a job, but I want to know what mm-hmm. the what the what the you know really what the background story there was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was looking for a job in London. He was a business studies graduate. He was a speaker of French. French was his first language, uh, or one of them. And uh, he he was he he was going around London looking for jobs, and he got this. Um, he got this invitation for a job interview at Shepherd's Bush. I think it was Shepherd's Bush at the BBC for something involved with IT. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with broadcasting, something to do with IT. And he got a he got an interview for um, 2006. What was the date I said before? 6th of April. <laughs> of April. <laughs> yeah. Early April, 2006. Yeah, I would have prepared this story if I thought I was going to tell it. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. That's a, that's You're a, telling it very naturally. Well, this, yeah, is, this yeah. is a very important thing. Where you, you know, you, you've got, you know, good pa- preparing your story. Mm-hmm. And this is, yeah, the preparing your story. And um, so, so he turned up at the BBC for this interview, he checked in at the reception. He was asked to wait in this waiting area and this reception area. And um, he's waiting to be called up for his interview. And in walks a man with a clipboard. He walks over to the reception, as a word, the receptionist walks over to, to, to Guy and says, excuse me, are you, are you Guy Cooney? And he says, yes, I am. And he says, oh, good, could you follow me? So he's led down this... He's led down this corridor into another room and he's asked to wait here for just a moment. And after a moment, he's led from that room into another room. This is a big room full of cables, full of lights, more cables, more lights than he had ever seen in his life. And he's thinking, what's going on here? It's a strange way to conduct a job interview. <laughs> really put the pressure Intense. on. Intense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he has this little um, lapel microphone fitted and uh, he meets... The interviewer is a, a blonde woman who's kind of too busy to really acknowledge him. Um, and uh, then he hears the man with the clipboard saying, you know, okay, 10 seconds before we go live on air. Eight, seven, six, five, four. You understand? I just mouthed those last <laughs> yeah. Like they do on TV. <laughs> and then the interviewer, this blonde woman, swivels in her chair to the camera and says, well, what a fantastic day Apple has had today. 
um, they've the, the the high court, whoever it was, has given this green light to the Apple stores to go on. And in the studio today, we have this expert, Mr. Guy Cooney, who's going to tell us all about it. She swivels around and says, thank you for joining us, Guy Cooney. What does this ruling mean exactly? And Guy Goma <laughs> realises he's been... The- Recently <laughs> arrived in the country from the Congo. <laughs> exactly. He's been the, the victim of a terrible mistake and he's been forced to to improvise an answer to a subject not of his choice, which is the Apple versus Apple case. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, what makes it so great, there's two things really. The number one is he did a, such a great job of bluffing through the interview. There's, they call it the three faces of Guy. Have you ever heard that? No, no, no. I think I might have done from the lesson. The first one is panic <laughs> when he realises maybe what's going on. The second one is absolute terror <laughs> when he's confirmed in his mind that the thing he thinks going on actually is going on. <laughs> and the third one is resignation as he thinks, okay, I can do this. <laughs> I can do this. I'm going to deal with this situation. And he doesn't come clean. He bluffs through the interview pretending to be this expert like an absolute champion using yeah. his kind of B1 level of English <laughs> in the most horrific exam I mean when your students they worry about speaking exams this is why it's such a this is high pressure this is live BBC television right exactly BBC BBC 24 but the best thing of all is that the video is there on YouTube for everyone to see and that's uh, that's what I always this is what this is the heart of the story the video Mm -hmm. and everybody that's everyone that's heard this story hears this story for the first time never tires of yeah. watching that video, it's they'll watch brilliant. it ten times and they'll keep on laughing. It's brilliant. It's it's um it's a really really highly recommend that as a as a lesson and also as a video to watch. Yeah, just to watch the video. It's great. It's like a gem, like a perfect um, <laughs> work of art. I think. Yeah. So what made you so having watched that or having found that video? What made you think you can make this into a lesson plan? That this could be used in the classroom. Well. But there's always a process, and it's always, I'm never looking for lesson plans. Mm-hmm. I'm always looking for stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, a story for a lesson plan kind of needs some ingredients. It has to be short. Mm-hmm. It has to be interesting, engaging, compelling. And it has to, you know, it has to really, mm. yeah, that's short and engaging, let's say. Mm. I would say the two most important mm-hmm. Um, criteria. Yeah. Yeah. And that one's uh, and that one's so that one's such a relevant story for the language classroom because it involves issues of language learning. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and it's got a, a, a hero. I don't know if we call him a, a hero or an anti-hero. Perhaps he's a hero. He's a hero. He's a I hero think. for yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, and and it's 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 got so much more potential for mm-hmm. exploration. You know, as, as a good story. Um, doesn't have to stop within the walls and with the limits yeah. of the text that you prepare. You can mm-hmm. keep on going exploring and exploring and exploring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so much opportunity for empathy in that story, I think, mm-hmm. putting yourself in his shoes, being like... Yeah. Is that why you'd like to find him? Find out more, I guess, well, go a bit more in depth? Well, I'll, to be honest, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to document this story um, and actually create a, a, a graded reader from it. Oh, nice. um, but, you know, I think when, when you explore Guy Goma's story, and there's a lot has been written about it online, I sometimes get a little bit disappointed the way he's portrayed. I think he was portrayed as this sort of almost as a a bit of a... a little bit of a sort of clown in a sense. Mm. And I don't think that's fair. And I think that all the the way it was reported was the funny side of it. And he and then he made more appearances. He made appearances, for example, in Channel Four News. And they all they, they got him in. They didn't find out about who he was. They just threw more questions at him to see how well he dealt with those. And I didn't like that. And I would like to for this book find out about the the side of what made him um, come to London in the first place is his story representative mm-hmm. of of the democratic of the Republic of the Congo in general is there a sort of I just want to know about that mm-hmm. um, and so I would need to speak to him to include that part yeah. in the story there'd have to be a, a, a chapter mm-hmm. all about that I think in the first place that would be fascinating I'd, yeah. love, I'd love to read or hear that interview if you ever get the chance to speak to him well, fingers crossed mm-hmm 
Um, Definitely. So any teachers listening can use that lesson plan, find that lesson plan on lesson stream. Well, actually, at the moment, not. No? Because um, there was lesson stream, kind of the first phase of lesson stream was when I used to create lots of lesson plans and share them. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was one of them. If any teacher wants it, they can always email me and ask me for it, and I'll be happy to send it to them. Mm -hmm. um, but the version 2 is in the pipeline. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh. Um, so you ran the community lesson stream and how did that come about? How did you start that project? Well, lesson stream is yes, yeah, a community of of language teachers mostly with a a dedication or a passion for story and storytelling mm -hmm. in the language classroom and it all came from really an interest in story and storytelling and um from there kind of a, a mailing list in which I was sending out a, a story or a storytelling idea every Sunday and then from there it became a, a Facebook group and now it's um, it's all on at lessonstream.com it's like it's a community and if you join the community you get access to the weekly lesson plans and the story course and of course, the online community itself, which we call the Fishbowl. The so Fishbowl? Yeah, yeah, the Fishbowl. Oh, that's a great name. How'd you come up with that? Who came up with that? Well, there's a story behind it. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I've always wondered is it a good name for a. I think a it's fantastic. We're all fish in a fishbowl. I don't know. Does it? I think it's cool. Yeah, yeah. well, other people can look into the fishbowl and see. Yeah, you guys, the fish inside, right? Well, it was it was when I was, I've often wondered how old I was. I think I was six years old when this happened. I was at school, primary two maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I'm looking at you asking you how. Do you I know? don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but we used to have this thing called news, and news was the fancy word or the fancy term for what we better know as what did you do at the weekend. Okay. Oh. And every Monday morning we'd form this big circle around our teacher and she would say, what did you do at the weekend? And she'd go around and she'd ask us. I remember one Monday morning, I must have been quite quiet. I said, Jamie, you've been rather quiet. Come on, tell us, what did you do at the weekend? And I, I said, nothing. And immediately she said, what, are you a fish in a fishbowl? And I oh. said, no. And she said, well, what did you do at the weekend? And I said, I, I played in the garden with my little sister. And she said, well, that's what we want to hear. That's the kind of thing we want to hear. But even at the age of six or whatever, I was kind of aware that playing in the garden with your little sister isn't exactly newsworthy. <laughs> but uh, I always thought this image, are you a fish in a fishbowl? What did she mean by that? It confused me at the time and I spent years thinking about it. I'm so not sure I know, but I think I do. I think only fish in a fishbowl or only if you were a fish in a fishbowl would you have an excuse for not having any stories to tell. But I disagree. I think fish and fishbowls still have stories to tell. Mm -hmm. you know? Heck yeah. They're looking yeah. out the world. They're watching everything that's going on. It's true. I think. Yeah. It's true, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But even within the fishbowl itself, there are still, you know, there's still going to be narratives to find, thoughts to have, interactions, romances even. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Dreams and hopes. Well, amongst the fish. Yeah, or bet uh, yeah. between the fish and pebbles, let's say, mm -hmm. or, or or maybe that little um, rubber skeleton at the bottom of the tank, <laughs> or the bubbles. Or the treasure chest. Yeah. Or the treasure That's... chest. Maybe they're looking for treasure. There we go. <laughs> they're pirates. The fish are pirates. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then uh, they forget that there's a treasure chest in the corner, and then they find it again. <laughs> they find it's it every again. Day. It's like... How exciting. Yeah. That's newsworthy, mm -hmm. finding a treasure chest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think, I, but I think it's a, it really is a kind of image I like because I think that I think the story of Guy Goma is a great example of a remarkable story mm -hmm. but I think you know we're looking for kinds of stories for the classroom and if we're wanting to use our own stories our own anecdotes I think that 
it's more valuable to find the stories which are unremarkable, mm. unremarkable and yet meaningful mm-hmm. and look for ways to give them form. Because um, there's no sense of going into the classroom and mesmerizing your students with your remarkable stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't even all have remarkable stories. It's those little things, those little, what did you do at the weekend? How to find something and turn it into a story which is short and yet meaningful and worth sharing and worth, or you know, making connections. It's mm-hmm. something that allows you to make connections with your story. So I think that's why I like this. Are you a fish in a fishbowl? Um, and it's an activity I've done. Imagine you're a fish, a goldfish. <laughs> what stories do you tell? And students can usually come up with some ideas mm-hmm. for that. Yeah. So sort of disproving your your teacher's point. You think even the fish in the fishbowl has stories. Exactly. Okay. So let's talk about this process of, of, of kind of storytelling. What what do you think, like how how would you approach, if you have a story or whatever, you have something you want to share, how would you, what's the process of going through it as a storyteller, not as a teacher as such, but as a, how do you, how do you make a good story out of something? Well, there's still, there's still always with the teacher's hat on, and um, it depends on the source of the story. Mm-hmm. The story could come from an image. It could come from a photograph I've seen or a piece of art or a personal photograph or a personal artifact, mm-hmm. something I have that I thought there's quite a good story behind that. A T-shirt, one of my favourite possessions. It could come from a video, a short film. I mean, we love video because um, of the, the story. In fact, I extend this to all authentic materials. Mm-hmm. I think teachers often think that we're attracted to authentic materials because they offer a source of authentic language. Well, I think not so much. Possibly, yes, but at least for me, it's the story mm. that we're attracted to. Often course books, often course books, not always, but often course books don't tend to take the story seriously enough, in my opinion, and mm. um, my experience. And so... Let's say it comes from an idea or a or an artifact or a piece of material. So the first thing I'm working with then, this is the the long winded answer to your question. Well, I think it's great. Mm. It's is, a lovely, lovely answer, Jamie. You're doing a great job. <laughs> is a text as simple as that, a narrative text, mm. um, and that's always my kind of first, uh, you know, my first objective is to create a story text, and this is really you know, all we're looking at. Stories are texts. And so language and story are really inseparable. Um, And so that's my first part of the process, to create a short, manageable, um, flowing, well-constructed text that we can use in the language classroom as a source for language input, Mm -hmm. also as a vehicle um, to get students engaged in thinking and speaking and writing and communicating and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's my approach, I would say. Mm-hmm. And then um, when you're exploring this text, do you kind of... do you? I've seen lessons that you've done where you've kind of... you've spoken the text and then they've, you've turned it to a kind of a listening activity. Or do you do it like, here's the text... Let's explore the text, and they all get a handout, whatever. It can be either. It absolutely can be either. It depends on the text. I don't like as as a you know as a classroom storyteller, as a teacher, um, and as a teacher trainer that trains other teachers to mm-hmm. to do it. I I I'm always aware of the amount of time a teacher can actually stand there or sit there and actually tell a story mm. to students. There's a practical consideration there. Mm. And just the the longest I would be comfortable um, doing it with myself and also encouraging students, sorry, teachers to do it would just be a, a few minutes, let's mm-hmm. say. But even then, a few minutes could be quite a long time. The story of Guy Goma... Um, I would probably, you know, I would not be standing there telling the entire story that I told to you. There'd be parts of it which could be exploration for students, mm. ask them to go online and discover what Apple and Apple was themselves. So they do the setup themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, then a part of it could be delivered by the teacher, a part of it could be a text. And there's different... The Guy Goldman was actually quite a complex story, so I would prefer to think of something a lot shorter here mm -hmm. when you're thinking of the, the quintessential story for the classroom. But it can be, you know, it's, it's, uh, it could be reading... It could be um, self-discovery, going online and finding out the story for yourself. It could be, um, it could be delivered by the teacher mm -hmm. and looking for possible ways to get students interacting with it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was watching a video of yours the other day. It was on YouTube of you with a, working with a photo, the photo of the streaker. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about how you sort of extrapolate or build out from a photo in that instance? That's a great example, Tim, mm -hmm. because um, the well, it's, I love the love the way you've introduced it as well with the word streaker, <laughs> <laughs> because while I was preparing that and developing that as an activity, I started speaking to a number of people about, do you know what a streaker is? And interestingly, it seems to really. Um, separate people according to where they're from in the world. If they come from a, a, a country where English is, is the first language, UK, um, USA, Canada, uh, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, any of these countries, it seems to be that streaker, everyone knows what mm -hmm. a streaker is, no questions asked. But for the rest of the world, it's such a cultural term for the rest of the world. No, I have no idea what is a streaker, which is a fantastic way in Mm -hmm. to this as an activity. Yeah. Um, and the activity, um, well, first of all, let, let me, let me if, if I, with students, the way into this activity is for a technique that I use called, called picture telling, mm -hmm. where the teacher stands at the front of the class uh, with an image in hand. Um, so the teacher can see the image, but the students can't, although the students know there's an image in the teacher's hands, so you're creating this kind of information gap and also a curiosity gap. And the teacher says, I've got this picture here. It's a, it's a, a picture that you're going to like, very famous photograph. In fact, one of the most famous photographs that came out of um, British journalism in the 70s, and the subject of the photograph is a streaker. Now, assuming nobody knows what a streaker, streaker is, which they won't. So I want you to work out what's going on in this photograph through just asking me questions, you know. You can give them some clues. For example, the streaker uh, has just been arrested. And then, you know, and in case people are listening, don't know what a streaker is, a streaker is a very common pastime, no doubt. I mean, I've done it. I'm sure you've all done it. Both, both of you have done it too. Um, what, streaking? Yeah. No. No? I'm hardly naked in front of myself, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> it was a cultural phenomenon that, mm -hmm. that started in the 70s to start running naked, um, especially at sports events. Yeah. And your, your quintessential prototypical streaker is mm -hmm. being chased by either police or sports officials. Yeah. And uh, this photograph, which was taken by a photographer called Ian Bradshaw, mm -hmm. um, his, an American f uh, photographer, he was, uh, he was sent to Twickenham Stadium in 1974 to film, to, sorry, to photograph an international rugby match between England and France. Mm -hmm. half, it was a cold, cold <laughs> day. And uh, half time, the other photographers had gone to warm themselves up with a cup of tea. He stayed there, um, wherever he was, and suddenly he heard uh, a commotion. There's some roars of laughter coming from the spectators and the stands. And he looked up, what's going on? He saw this man running across the pitch, naked as the day he was born. <laughs> And uh, and uh, all the way through, he's shooting, 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 taking photographs of this man who's who's coming towards him. Luckily enough, and he, the whole time he's thinking, "This is great. If only uh, there wasn't an aspect of this composition that was overexposed." <laughs> <laughs> if you get my meaning. Yes. And then the guy was he was grabbed by these police officers, and he was kind of frog marched. 
across frog marched by one of the touch lines mm -hmm. in the photographer's direction and at the perfect moment one of the police officers decided to take off his helmet to conceal the man's private parts <laughs> just as the man was outstretching his arms what he gets is this most perfect composition right. of this Jesus Christ like figure <laughs> bearded naked flanked by police officers um, and and the guy and in the background with the coat as well <laughs> <laughs> like, instead of a loincloth it's a had policeman's helmet it's a very symbolic anyway it's very iconic yeah what do you remember the, the guy in the background well it's just the look on his face when he's like he's got a coat and he's obviously trying to cover him up and like i don't know the idea of putting yourself in the place of that guy like his thought process like, it's very funny yeah. isn't it he's determined to put an end to this exactly. nonsense <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but too late yeah he's, exactly i wonder that, who he was do you think he was the like streaker no, the man with the coat. I don't know. Maybe he's like someone took it from upon the, himself to from the TV broadcast or oh, someone yeah, maybe. from the stadium. I don't know. <laughs> well, the answers are all there. Yeah, but this is because this is a very good. You know, you you start with this image, mm -hmm. and you know that the image is at the heart of the story. Yeah, but you've always got to remember that it it is in the language classroom the story that you're working with, the text. Yeah. And there's, so there's all sorts of different ways to exploit that. Uh, and there is no right or wrong. One one way I would, I've used an image like that before is to, you know, I mentioned how you would introduce it mm -hmm. by asking your students to ask you, the teacher, questions. But when they do get to see that image, boom, it's, mm. it's, it's great and <laughs> everyone's going to love it. And then you can start to, for example, ask students to create sentences that all begin with the words, I wonder. Mm. One of my favorite verbs, because it collocates with all the question words. I wonder why, I wonder when, I wonder who, I wonder what, I wonder which, I wonder how, I wonder how many. I wonder whether, I wonder if, not all of these being question words, obviously. But then try to think of as many, you know, every student thinks of six, I wonder questions. I wonder who the man in the background is. I mm -hmm. wonder what happened next. I wonder why he did it. I wonder who took the photograph. And then collate the best ones, put them on the board. And then as a task, students have to go online, find the stories for themselves to find answers to all of their questions, all of their I wonder questions. It's, a very, it's one of my favorite techniques mm -hmm. for using an image like this. But the important thing is, you're, you, you know, the image is the artifact that you've, you teachers have got to remember always that the, there's a text. There is no image without a text. And there's no text, the image. You 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 can spend your whole life just looking at that picture. You've always got to remember to go in source of the story, mm. to go in search of the accompanying texts, which we're language teachers. That's where the language is. Mm. The language is going to come from students, of course, but it's also got to come from the world, the language yeah. and the texts that are out there. Mm -hmm. You could also as an after, like kind of as a writing activity afterwards, to follow up from that, would be write a story from a perspective of someone else in the photo. So what what they did when they got up that day that led them to this place in the photo. Yeah. The streaker, for example. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's the, the lesson plan that you mentioned, um, Tim, I did something very similar to that. I found a one single article written by a sports blogger mm -hmm. um, about this photograph. And it's very comprehensive and it does talk about the different people who were involved in it on that day. So what I did was I adapted the text um, to, to create a first-hand account mm -hmm. from the photographer. Yeah. Students get the story told from the photographer's point of view. Their task then is to go back to that same text and create a similar text, mm -hmm. a first-person account, um, but from the streaker's point of view. Oh, okay. And yeah. what they've got to do is use all the information that they can find actually in that text. So they start that text by going through it quickly and underlining all of the details that relate to the photographer's own, sorry, the streaker's own story the streaker's own experience and what the streaker would talk about if he 
were to tell us mm-hmm. his side of the story. And then yeah. they've got to use that first text that the teacher created, that I created, as a model. Um, and so I really, really, uh, I'm really happy with that as a, as a, as yeah, a task, as you know? Yeah. yeah. And then they can use like their I wonder, like their imagination side to fill in the gaps as well. So I wonder why he did it. And they're like, okay, he needs a motive. Absolutely. Okay. And then it ties in with the bits they've got. Absolutely. The reason he did do it, by the way, it was a bet. Ah, okay. was it? Of course it yeah. was. He <laughs> <laughs> was bet £10. Wow. That's quite um, a lot back then as well, right? Ten, maybe, or maybe it's a hundred pounds. Oh. I, I think he's either ten pounds or hundred pounds. That's a lot now, isn't it? <laughs> I don't think I would do it for a hundred pounds though. Yeah. Even now, I think it might be ten. He bet ten pounds that he couldn't get to the touchline naked. Now they arrested him. They grabbed him before he got there, I but he managed get, uh... to persuade the police officers to let him touch <laughs> it. Before they, so yeah, and then and then he was fined. Ten pounds, no. whatever it was, the bet was for. He was fined the same amount of money. Oh. I don't know if that was a coincidence. Oh no, <laughs> that's such a shame. But if you're, if but uh, you can see that MRE, if you, if you go to my YouTube channel, Lesson Stream, mm-hmm. it's one of the most recent. And just or type in Lesson Stream Streaker. Yeah. Um, you'll get a, you'll get to see that image. Just type in we'll Streaker. Put the, we'll yeah. put the link in the description for the yeah, podcast well, yeah. as well. Um, it's great. Um, don't you think it's funny that they. That streaker, I'd never thought about it until you said it just then. Streaker doesn't come up in any of the course books that we teach. We've got mugger. Well, there's probably several crimes that don't appear in, in course books, but streaker's one of them. It's not really, nudity is not really talked about very no, much. No, it's one of the no-nos in course books, I think. But is it a thing in Spain? Do people streak in Spain? Oh, you've re- you've you've tapped into one of my real pet hates there, Tim. What? No what? streaking? Oh, no, oh, it's just <laughs> so bad. It really is. It is the one thing in life that gets me seriously angry. There, there's they don't streak here in Ca- <laughs> here in Catalonia. There's this guy that calls himself Jimmy Jump. He's he he is a self-proclaimed. He's always referred to as a streaker. Right. He's got his own Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. He's 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 um he's streaked at some high profile events, including the World Cup final in South Africa, um the Euro- Eurovision Song Contest. I forget where. Uh, and but the thing is, he he always does it with his clothes on. What? What? That's not streaking. I mean, even if he doesn't call himself a streaker, he's also he's always referred to as a streaker. And it just what the, is the point? You <laughs> might of as well streaking with your clothes on. It's just stupid. What does it mean if you're? But I thought streaking you had to be naked. Exactly. So what, what's it called if you're not naked? Stupid. Invader. It's pointless. Pointless. It just pointless. really. It just. It just distracts from good old fashioned honest streaking. You know. <laughs> It's just idiotic, pointless, and I really think the guy doesn't deserve any time whatsoever. I shouldn't have been talking about him, and I regret mentioning his name. Why is he called Jimmy the Jump? Jump. Jimmy Jump. Jimmy Jump. Is that really his name? Um, That's his stage name. His so-called streaking name. His streaking name. Yeah. Didn't know oh, can you beep out his name? I don't want to give him any publicity there. Cut the whole bit. Cut. Um, in fact, I mentioned that in my lesson plan. When I create lesson plans, I like to I I I, I my lesson plans. I like them to sometimes be entertaining. Mm-hmm. You know, a lesson plan is is I, I take them very very seriously, and I'll sometimes have little moments like that where I talk about my own um, my own opinions <laughs> and uh, pet hates, and I actually mention that in the streaker lesson plan. Nice. Um, he wears a silly hat. He does. He wears a cat. Well, it's not a silly yes. hat. It's not a silly hat. It's a traditional Catalan hat. It's not a silly okay. hat. Yes. Mm-hmm. A very okay. meaningful hat. Well, it's silly when you see it on a... It's on silly a, when you see it on a man who's fully clothed on a football pitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any other sort of... Say you had to teach a class in five minutes and you just take one image or one video that you always gets a great reaction from your students. Which one do you normally go for? Oh, it's a difficult one. I mean, if someone said class in five minutes, yeah. I would probably go more for maybe a, a, a personal anecdote mm-hmm. lesson plan. Okay. Um, yeah, there, that would probably be my favourite. If it was five minutes, then there's... I don't want to go sourcing images or videos or <laughs> setting up. I'd probably just... 
go with a tried and tested <laughs> personal anecdote. Me too. Which <laughs> is uh, going to get students um, engaged and then get them talking and speaking and... Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I start yeah. with, what did you do this weekend? And <laughs> yeah. they say nothing. And I go, what? You did literally nothing? <laughs> Tell me something so we can start this lesson. <laughs> I, I, I always plan my lessons very thoroughly. Well, I, I, I always, in, we've, in my story course, mm. this is something we spend some time talking about. And my, my kind of, um, my way of thinking is the teacher mm-hmm. has to lead by example. Um, there's no good just going in there and saying to students, what did you do at the weekend? You've mm-hmm. got to lead by example. They've got to know that you're going to be asking them what they did at the weekend. But I change the language first of all, and rather than saying, what did you do at the weekend, which so often results in either nothing or went to the cinema or did this or Studied. played in the garden with my sister, to <laughs> change the, the language you use and say, your weekend story. Mm, and nice. your weekend story can it has to be unremarkable and yet it has to be meaningful and it has to be worth sharing and if, I mean there's you know it's a lot easier to find a weekend story um, if you look for it than you might think um, but you've got to be given some examples and importantly mm. so do your students you know and once you know your students after you giving them your weekend story they're going to still have nothing <laughs> but then you can resort to okay so what did you do at the weekend but after a few weeks of this as a routine you might just get one back from your students um, that's what we hope yeah but, okay. you, but I you, like the idea of it being unremarkable but meaningful yeah yeah definitely and one of the, in our community we often encourage teachers to share their weekend stories and I'll do it by by example, and it could be a thought that you had. It could be something you witnessed. Mm-hmm. It could be a, a a TV program that you've discovered, or a book that you've started reading, or something somebody said to you, or something that you overheard, or a dilemma. Dilemma stories mm-hmm. are, are naturally interactive. You know, I remember one of my favourite weekend stories I heard from a teacher was that she, you know, I've, you know, I've been wanting to get a dog for ages and ages and I've been holding out for a, a, a an Alsatian, a German Shepherd and uh, I went to the, the dog rescue at the weekend and uh, they didn't have any Alsatians, German Shepherds, the same thing obviously but they did have this little scruffy white mongrel that I may have fallen in love with and now I don't know whether to go back and get the scruffy mongrel um, or hold out for a German Shepherd, which was a really nice weekend story, mm-hmm. isn't it? Right. Did she go for the scruffy white mongrel? No, she lost it. Oh, oh it was snapped up. Oh, by, a, by another dog? No, by a crocodile. <laughs> 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 okay, I'm going to put the pressure on Tim. What? Uh, what's your weekend story? My weekend story. Oh, what day is it now? Tuesday. It's Tuesday. Uh... Something that happened. I've the got weekend. one. It didn't happen to me this weekend. You go first. Asked me last weekend. Did I oh. tell you about this? No, I don't. So. I was going to meet my friends in Castella Fells, which is the beach near mm-hmm. Barcelona, and um, I got on the train at Sants with all the confidence in the world that it was the correct train, <laughs> and it stopped at the the stop previous to Castella Fells Beach, which is just Castella Fells town. Mm-hmm. And then it said, it moved off again. And then it said, next stop, Siches, which is the next big town along the coast, completely missing Casa de Beach. So I get into the tunnel of Siches, and I think, well, I'm just going to have to stay on the train and come back again. We were meeting them for lunch. It was a couple of them meeting them for lunch there. Get on the train, and then all of a sudden there was an announcement. There's been an incident on the tracks. <laughs> There's been an incident on the tracks. And um, there's a big delay. So I'm thinking, not only am I going to be quite late for this lunch, but I'm going to be really, really, really late for this lunch. So an hour later, we get into Sitges. And I get off the train. I'm thinking, I don't even have a ticket for Sitges. <laughs> <laughs> so I snuck out behind someone else. I thought, I'll buy a ticket back to Castle Fells Beach. So I bought a ticket back and I went and asked the woman at the desk, when's the next train to Castle Fells Beach? And she said, well, you'll need to get on this train that says stops at all stops. Um, but there's been an incident between Garaf and Siches and you'll have to 
you know, there might be some delays and the timetables are a bit messed up. So I'm like, okay, don't worry, don't worry. So I text my friends and said, listen, I'm, you know, I'm in Sitches. I'm a bit late. Uh, I'll, I'll get there as soon as I can. Just start lunch without me. So I'm waiting on the platform. The trains are normally pretty regular. I'm waiting on the platform. I'm there for 45 minutes and no trains are coming. Nothing. So finally one train comes along. I thought, I'll just get on this train. Didn't check the board. That was a fatal mistake. Waited in the train station in Sitges for half an hour on the train. And my phone's running out of battery. I'm going, oh God. I was editing my TikTok videos at the time. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, get on the train it moves away finally and it takes a long time to get through from Sitges and I've got my headphones on so I'm not listening to any announcements I'm just like well just get there when we get there we'll get there when we get there and then as we come through the tunnel through fast past Garaf, I see Playa Castellafels Beach swing past me I'm going <laughs> no I've got the wrong train <laughs> So I go off at Castel the Fells again. I'm like, oh my god, this is the the second. This is this is a, a disaster at this point. I'm like two and a half hours late for the lunch. <laughs> I'm texting them, going, they're going, where are you? And I'm going, um, back at Castel the Fells. And they were like, what are you talking about? We're just having coffee. We've had our paella. We're done with lunch. I'm going, please don't leave without me having actually made it somewhere. So I'm sitting, I'm like, I'll get the next train back. I'll get the next train back to Castle of Hell's Beach. It'll take me 10 minutes. I'll be there in 10 minutes. And no trains come, no trains come, no trains come. And eventually, I just called them and said, you know, just come, come and pick me up. <laughs> and then we, they picked me up. And then drove me all the way back to Sitges, because that's where they were staying. <laughs> so I might as well have just stayed in Sitges, to be honest. It was just a ridiculous day. I spent the first sunny day... The first sunny Saturday in weeks on a bloody train in a tunnel. <laughs> like it was Didn't even have signal. It was ridiculous. Oh. It was a ridiculous day and I was so annoyed with myself. <laughs> From start to finish, it was a game of idiocy. Great weekend story. <laughs> it was yeah. It's a great one. Unremarkable. Meaningful? No. But... Oh, yeah. We get... <laughs> gives us insight into your life. Does yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lack of accuracy, possibly. But anyway, is that the kind of thing that you mean? Absolutely. Couldn't have, <laughs> couldn't have expected a, a better weekend story. In fact, yeah. it's almost too good. Is it? Oh, yeah. Well. <laughs> Put the pressure on. <laughs> yes, um, and it, it, you know, it's it's um, the this is you know you you being the teacher, human beings are intrinsically fascinated in other human beings and whether we realize it or not all students are fascinated by their teacher and you are a a, a very very powerful valuable resource and you are the source of possibly the best or most valuable or most engaging texts for the classroom Mm -hmm. that was a a text. Thanks. You know? I'm gonna make it into a sto- I'm gonna make it. it into a lesson plan do it. that I will never yeah. use. There's so much you can do with that. <laughs> can imagine the, the, the How would could, you do with that? What would, would you do with that? I would definitely want to have access to some sort of visual, the, the train line, the stations, mm-hmm. because I was visualizing a map in my head mm-hmm. of, mm. of the problems and also the messages that you got. So I would have the heart of your story, uh, a little image of the of the journey route. And the messages that you heard, okay, um, and and that would allow me to really it would strengthen my my comprehension. I think of the story, yeah. But but very but, I mean, you don't really have to do much to prepare your weekend story if it's your intention to try to get them from your students. But that in itself, that story could be developed and uh, developed by preparation, just working with it taking that go back to this podcast think or rather maybe transcribe it and then rework that text and maybe you're going to discover possibilities for improving it maybe things that weren't so necessary things that you might have missed sounded pretty good to me but it can Mm -hmm. always be it can always be tidied up Mm -hmm. and uh, I also like students to have a a text representation of the story as well that they can take away with um, a script, let's say, although it, it's a spoken story is the genre here. So you're not wanting to create 
are written, a story written, you know, a written register. You're wanting some way to represent the story, maybe just in note form of the mm -hmm. important points, the important language and phrases that you used. That would be my, that's what I kind of train or try and teach or encourage teachers to do in my, my story course. Remember yeah. that from the Delta. Gerard was always encouraging us to, Gerard McLaughlin was always encouraging us to not speak, read the text, was to yeah. say the text. Mm -hmm. Tell the story. It was much more yeah. engaging. And if we could get the text message exchange between you and your friend to go with it, that would be quite good. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's lots of swearing, I think. Would you would you like a, an example of one that I've prepared before? Yeah, yeah that would be great. So this is this is an example of um, it's a it's not a weekend story, um, but although it could have been. No, it couldn't be. Oh. Although sometimes a weekend story, you could think you could say or something I remembered about my childhood. Why not? Mm -hmm. But it's a it's a it's a little incident about my childhood that I I then prepared um, as a text here on my mobile phone, and uh, it starts off the list. I always love to be able to incorporate lists into stories, and the list is Madame Tussauds, the Egyptian mummies at the British Museum, Superman Two, and the Tower of London, mm. and that's naturally. I hope, kind of intriguing because as a teacher you give that list to your students and ask them to, to speculate what those items have in common. How do they feature in the story that you're going to tell them? Mm, and, I'm intrigued. Uh, I'm intrigued. Are you intrigued, Tim? Yeah. <laughs> so I was seven years old and uh, mentioned that I grew up in the big city of Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. And until that age of seven, I'd never ever been to London. Visiting London had just been a dream. And uh, my mum decided to take me and my little sister on a weekend to London. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> we got the train from Edinburgh to London. And on the train, we made a list of the things that we were going to do. Go to Madame Tussauds Wax Museum. Go and see the Egyptian mummies at the British Museum. Go and see Superman 2 at the cinema, which had just come out back in those days new releases were only ever shown in London. It would have taken weeks to get to Edinburgh. Very unfair. Mm. Yeah, it is quite yeah, unfair. Fair, yeah. yeah, But not then. I was going to be one of the first boys in my school to see Superman 2. Give Imagine them all spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> and go to see the Tower of London where people used to get their heads cut off. And the thing is, that thing which I was looking forward to the most was not actually on the list. And this is an invitation for students to guess what it was that I was really, really looking forward to more than anything else, more even than Superman 2. And the answer is that I was really, really looking forward to going on the London Underground. Yeah. I, mean, I get that. Yeah. I get it. Mm -hmm. It's quite exciting. It's super exciting the first time I went on it. Just imagine tunnels mm -hmm. yeah. under <laughs> the ground. And while everyone else is moving around in the in the in the streets above, we've been moving through the earth below. But I had so many questions. You know, I couldn't quite conceive how it worked. Would it be dangerous? How how would we get down there? Would we have to wear special helmets with torches? <laughs> and there was actually a part of me did not believe that the London Underground even existed. It did have exist, of course, yeah. as you know. Yeah. It still does. <laughs> it still, still does. does. Still there. <laughs> but unfortunately, not in the way I was imagining. And mm -hmm. Tim, you said that you thought it was a great experience. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, not the actual experience, but the excitement, I think, of going on it. But we were the same. We went to London once and went to Madame Tussauds and everything. And it was, getting on the tube was super exciting. This, the, the title of the story is Jamie's Big London Disappointment. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, because I remember, you know, my mum saying, well, what did you expect? And I... I, 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 I Caves, I, caving. <laughs> I, said, I said I expected to see more out the window. I said, oh, for, I said, oh, for God's sake, Jamie, we were under the ground. What could you possibly have expected to see out the window of an underground train? I didn't say anything at all. I knew my mum was right. She always was. I didn't tell her, for example, that I'd expected to see underground caves and, and giant worms and dinosaur fossils and stalactites and stalactites and molten lava. 
and buried treasure. <laughs> <laughs> All these things would have been extremely dangerous yeah. <laughs> if we were to build a train track through them. Still, Superman 2 is pretty good. <laughs> it is great. It's great. Worth it. I have a question. Why are there train why are there windows on those trains anyway? For when you get to the stations. Do you need them? The doors open. <laughs> That's true. But you so you can see which station it is. Do you think it's just because that's something we've just been conditioned to expect windows? Maybe. And so you can smash them to get out if it breaks down. <laughs> I like the way that you were just going with the, the name, right? London Underground. London Underground. So you just built your entire mythology of what it was based on the fact that it's underground. Yes. It's amazing what like a seven-year-old kid's head can do with just one word. Yes. You can just build outwards from that. Yeah. So if it's underground, there must be treasure. There must be monsters. There must be... And then the actual realities. Well, that that that's the whole the whole essence of what the story is about. Mm. I'm I'm happy with this story because it's developed, and one of the pieces of feedback I find myself giving, which any storyteller would give, is you you've got to know why you're telling your story. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to you? That's not to say that that's what everyone else is going to take mm. away from it, but this to me is very much about a seven year old child's world experience and connections and schemata and world knowledge and in this case a misunderstanding and it's interesting that that's what you're reading into this and what that's what you're taking away from it Tim. Mm. Um, that's not usually how um, communication works but and even even here we're not taking away or I'm not it doesn't mean the same things to both of us mm-hmm. but there's definitely an alignment here mm-hmm. and uh, yeah um, well I know I like I said the idea, as soon as you said Madame Two Swords, it took me right back to my first experience of London, the big city, and being terrified of Madame Two Swords and and mummies and um, all those things. The Madame Two Swords, the what's it called, the area where all the serial killers are. Yes, around Baker Street. It's, so yeah, yeah, it's all like all the all the waxwork figures of all the different serial killers that stuck with me for years. Me too. Me. John Christie. There was one. Who's John, was John Christie? Christie, but there was one who was sent to jail on my birthday, and so he was the one who really scared the shit out of me. I was like, <laughs> he, went, he was jailed on my birthday, so he must be the one that's going to come and get me in the night. <clears throat> or maybe <laughs> you, you were reincarn- you reincarnated as you. I don't oh, know. I don't know. <laughs> What's who's John Christie? He was a particularly nasty one. He mm. he was a he was London's most famous necrophile oh no (laughs) there's another thing that doesn't appear in course books (laughs) (laughs) and uh, killed uh, his victims and hid them behind a panel in his house Hmm. he was not very careful um and it was was i mean it was there's a great film uh richard attenborough i've seen that film so scary such a freaky film and he lets another man played by John Hurt well I, I won't unless you, yeah oh no spoilers yeah. no spoilers <laughs> another man called John Hurt is involved okay great yeah. John Hurt the actor the actor, the actor. Right? yeah, yeah. I, I forget the name yeah. I'm sure John Hurt wasn't actually involved <laughs> John Hurt no man pardon John Hurt no oh. man hey. Oh, oh, someone's a comedian. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, brilliant. Why do you think they call it the tube? Why is the underground called the tube when it's called the underground? What's that all about? Come on. It's like a tube. I'm just going to go straight to the obvious. (laughs) I always thought it was like a tube of Smarties. Hmm. Oh, well. Be. There's a load of smart, intelligent people on the tube. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially at the university stops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Are see there such that? a thing? There's a, you see the seeds of a joke. I don't get it. <laughs> it's um, your joke, a tube of your smarties. Tube oh, right. of smarties. Yeah. oh, God. <laughs> this is why I'm not on the stage. So, Jamie, if people want to join the Lesson Stream community or find out more about you and your lesson plans and things like that, how can they do that? Well, I would say just go to LessonStream.com mm-hmm. and uh, everything's there. And if you'd like to join, there's a button that says Join the Membership. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, if anyone that's listening to this 
would like to do so, um, send me an email after you've joined, and I'll be happy to send you a copy of my ebook, Video Telling, which is a book of short stories based on videos for teachers. Is that fair? Is that nice? Yeah, that's, that's so that's generous. <laughs> yeah. Do they have to say a special code word? They just have to say, "I heard you, Jamie, on two teas in a pod," Amazing. and that's good enough for me. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> we should record a bit at the, to go at the beginning of the episode saying listen to the end Yeah. for a special whatever special free gift special free gift wow we should do that now yeah, we should definitely. do that keep, keep them listening Brilliant. keep them on their tenterhooks mm-hmm. yeah well thanks a lot for speaking to us today Jamie that was really insightful I'm sure our teacher listeners and our student listeners have got a lot out of that great stories and great tips for yeah, using stories thanks so much classroom. for coming on thank you very much for having me on it's been a pleasure to be here with two teas and a pod <laughs> I love your jingle it's the catchiest is it? Pod. yeah I love it I really do we're thinking about yeah. changing it no! it's really Why getting not? on our nerves <laughs> we're just updating it yeah maybe a remix remix <laughs> <laughs> that's me yeah. Remixing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let's finish it there. <laughs> Thanks, well, Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Tim. Welcome to the podcast. Two teas in a pod. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Two teas in a pod. Thanks a lot for listening to the show. Just like to thank everyone involved in the Two Teas in a Pod team. Specifically, Ben Ward, our wonderful producer for recording and editing all of the episodes. Also, Mark Wilding for designing our logo and all our branding. Um, Lisa Marie Court, Bernice Ray, Vicky Milena and our own Katie Wright for singing our jingles. And all you lovely listeners for listening along. And of course, to the wonderful Katie Wright, my wonderful co-host. Bye!